Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Ron DeSantis is apparently has evolved an, a symbiotic, you know, the, the Republican governor of Florida has apparently developed a symbiotic relationship with Fox so-called news, is, I'd say, fairly openly running for president in 2024 as the next Trump. And Trump, of course, likes to take credit for making DeSantis governor. He gave him his endorsement and that helped him in the primary and then got him elected. He won by 34,000 votes after his Republican predecessors purged about a million people from the voting rolls in Florida. So, you know, is Florida changing? I don't know. We'll see. You know, they're passing these restrictive voting laws. But there's this extraordinary level of coordination. Uh, Eric Kleefeld is writing about this over at MediaMatters.org between Ron DeSantis and Fox News. And not only that, DeSantis now has not only banned private businesses from requiring people to wear a mask to come in or requiring people to be vaccinated, but he's also now promoting Regeneron. Now, Regeneron is the monoclonal antibody treatment that Donald Trump and Chris Christie and Rudy Giuliani all got when they got sick with COVID. They all went to the hospital and they got this infusion, and it's got to be given by infusion. They put a tube into your vein, and, you know, it's sort of like a, what you get in the hospital, you know, where you, they drip saline in. They put a tube into your vein, and they slowly drip this into your body over the course of a half hour or thereabouts. And it is synthetically made antibodies, monoclonal, synthetically made antibodies that attack or, or, or prevent the coronavirus from replicating. I, you know, I don't know the exact mechanism, but anyhow, they deal with infection. And if you take these monoclonal antibodies in the early stages of an infection, when it's just you know, sore throat and fatigue, then it doesn't progress to the ICU and to death. But here's the thing. Why would you promote a very expensive, I mean, you know, it's, it's thousands of dollars per administration. You've got to have the, you've got to have a, an infusion center, which is expensive. Uh, you've got to buy the Regeneron from the company that makes it. 
why would they be promoting a cure when they could have prevented the disease in the first place by encouraging people to get vaccinated? Why is Ron DeSantis not out there? I, you know, I get it. He acknowledged once that the vaccines were useful. But why is he not launching a major campaign across Florida to get people vaccinated? Why instead is he promoting Regeneron? There's a whole, whole article about this over at Media Matters, him and Fox News. They're, they're therapeutics. It's all about therapeutics. Well, uh, over at the top of Democratic Underground today is a graphic. They have a graphic there every day on the weekdays. And this one's titled, Funny How That Works. And I'll just read it to you. Uh, the top part's got a picture of Ron DeSantis. And it says, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has been discouraging masking and downplaying COVID vaccines, the best, most effective way to prevent, uh, to protect people from COVID. And has instead suddenly started urging Floridians to use Regeneron's very expensive monoclonal antibody treatment after getting infected. And then the bottom half of the graphic shifts to another picture of a guy by the name of Ken Griffin. And the text says, you'll be amazed to learn that the second largest investor in Regeneron is Citadel Investment Group, whose billionaire CEO, Ken Griffin, just happens to be Ron DeSantis's number one political donor. Mic drop. This is what's going on. This is what these guys are up to. And it's, it's nuts. And it may well be criminal. Although probably the Supreme Court says, you know, oh, that's just free speech. But here we are. On the line with us, Dr. Eric Feigelding, the epidemiologist and health economist, adjunct senior fellow at the American Federation of Scientists. I follow him on Twitter where he's got one of the better uh, Twitter feeds or whatever you call it. If you want to be updated on what's going on uh, with this pandemic, his uh, Twitter handle is dr. Eric, E-R-I-C, Ding, D-I-N-G, D-R-E-R-I-C-D-I-N-G. Dr. Eric Feigelding, welcome back to the program. I'm reading a whole bunch of stuff all over the internet. You know, the, the Delta variant has made herd immunity impossible. But what mm -hmm. do we know about this Delta variant? Young people are getting sick, kid, you know, ICUs and children's hospitals are filling up. It seems like it's almost a brand new disease. I call it pandemic 2.0 because it is so many ways it is worse than before. It is more contagious, twice as contagious. When I say twice, I mean like exponentially twice. Instead of, you know, one person passing on to three or four, it's now one person passing on to six to nine uh, per each additional cycle. And it's much more severe. It's For unvaccinated, it's about four times greater risk of, um, of hospitalization. And even among those who are infected, it is much more severe than before. Uh, there's a lot more breakthrough cases than before. And obviously, even with big breakthroughs, the hospitalization efficacy prevention with the vaccines is lower than before. Instead of 99, it's now like 90% protection against hospitalization. And, uh, and again, kids are also infected a lot more than the old strain. So altogether, it's kind of like the worst of both worlds that is much more contagious and more severe and more vaccine penetrant. So I got a, a note this morning from uh, my best friend who lives in Manhattan, uh, has his whole life. He's my age, more or less, you know, in his 70s. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. he went into his pharmacy this morning and said, I'm old <laughs> and I want a booster. I want a third shot. <laughs> and they were like, cool. And they whipped it out and stuck it in his arm. 
it seems that uh, this is happening, this this booster thing, and the government is talking yeah. about making it official. Um, what's the deal? Uh, you know, uh, what does the what what does the epidemiology tell us? What does science tell us about whether people who are over sixty should get a, a third shot, or whether people who are on uh, yeah. medication that suppresses things like rheumatoid arthritis or plaque psoriasis, and therefore it just suppresses mm-hmm. the entire immune system, should get a third shot, or you know, or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. what what is what, what's the yeah, deal? Definitely. I, I definitely, uh, there's a lot of evidence that there's waning immunity, um, both over time as well as uh, among the elderly. The efficacy was always a little bit weaker in the elderly, and especially the immunocompromised. Uh, so if you, even if you're not elderly, you have taking immunosuppressive drugs, have certain conditions like can- blood cancers, you should definitely get another shot. So. Uh, the FDA in the U.S. officially recommended a uh, third shot for those with these immune uh, conditions. But in other countries like Israel, they're already starting the shot for the elderly uh, as well. And many European countries are also starting a third shot for anyone over the age of 50 or 60, 65. So it's definitely something you need. And the other thing is, you know, over once you're over six months, there is significant waning, um, and that we've seen it not just in elderly but also young people. So there's about the breakthrough rates are twice as high if you're fully vaccinated um, in January or earlier versus fully vaccinated recently. Mm. So th- th- it is an issue, and you know if you're recently vaccinated and you're young, I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, if you're elderly and you know your last shot was five or six months ago, I would start considering another shot, even though it's not officially recommended in the U.S., but it's widely done worldwide. Yeah, and so apparently there's not a, a downside to this. People aren't getting horrible reactions to the third shot or things No, like that. no. They already had two shots. Like, if you had reactions, it would have already happened earlier. What about the, I, you know, I, 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 uh, I've seen uh, actually uh, multiple articles in the, in the pop press, you know, about people who are trying to mix and match people who got the Pfizer yeah. vaccine and now they're trying to get the J&J because it's a different t- technology. It's a different, you know, and, and, and it targets yeah. a different part of the immune system. It's, it's like a maybe uh, issue because there is evidence that if you went from, for example, AstraZeneca to Pfizer, it, the benefits are stronger than if you got two AstraZeneca. Although that doesn't happen in the U.S. because we don't have AstraZeneca. Mm -hmm. But there is some evidence that, you know, Moderna, interestingly, has a little bit higher protection against Delta than than Pfizer. Mm -hmm. We don't know if it's because Moderna people were always asked to delay their second shot by four weeks, while Pfizer, the second shot could come within three weeks. So we don't know if the difference is due to that reason or because they're very similar vaccines. Yeah. Now, the Johnson & Johnson is obviously a little bit more different, but Johnson & Johnson by itself is, you know, if you were doing a one-shot-to-one-shot one before, uh, you know, Pfizer and Moderna always had the higher one-shot efficacy versus Johnson & Johnson. But it is a strategy some people are doing. I don't recommend it because there's not much data on it. But mm-hmm. I think the third shot right now that most people are doing is a third shot of the mRNA. And mixing Moderna and Pfizer is, is pretty common in many countries. What does all this tell us about life in this world going forward, Dr. Feigelding? Uh, you yeah. and I, last time we talked, we talked about the difference between endemic and pandemic and, and epidemic. Yeah. Any new thoughts on that? It's, 
it's one of those things where we're trying to work our way through because th- there's if if we have highly vaccinated populations, I think we could keep it suppressed and not have it run wild and occasionally have a few hospitalizations uh, with some rare breakthrough cases. But in, in many ways, if half the population like the U.S., especially in the Deep South, more than half, are not vaccinated, the actual number of hospital beds and deaths and long COVID, long COVID, don't forget, you get mm-hmm. even if you don't get hospitalized, is going to be uh, this mounting uh, astronomical burden that will just accumulate. Sort of like polio so I think we have We're at a fork in a road um, between what kind of future do we want and the other thing is, you know, you say, oh, we go build natural immunity. But yeah, you know, we did that before, but then Delta came. And now there's also other uh, things like Lambda. Um, and, you know, Israel says if Lambda surges in Israel, they're going to lockdown. Even they don't care if they're 70% vaccinated. They're going to lockdown Whoa. if Lambda surges. What's the difference between so Lambda and Delta? I, I know nothing about the Lambda variant. Yeah, so Lambda is this other new variant that is increasing in South America and a few countries. And it's in the U.S. too, but it's not as fast-moving as Delta, but it could be potentially aggressive. So they're trying to see, is can we hold Lambda in check? But if Lambda is outpacing Delta, and Delta is a very fast, contagious one that has basically outpaced all the previous ones, they almost are almost extinct. Mm-hmm. If Lambda surges and faster than Delta, that, that spells trouble. Basically, is, if it's faster than Delta, it's going to be a problem. Is Lambda then, uh, are you suggesting or saying that Lambda is more capable of evading vaccines or producing we, illness in vaccines? We, we don't know for sure. We don't know for sure. Like, right. it, it, a lab study does not equal real world. And the problem is that with Lambda, there are some bad properties to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not surging worldwide, but it's it's upticking, let's just say, yeah. in in certain places. And, you know, in certain ways, a, d- a Delta was upticking, and then we realized, oh, crap, this is more than just an uptick. This is going to be a global surge. And 2 million people, 3 million people in India died within just two months in April and May because of Delta. Right. So we have to be really wary what's on the horizon, and we have to really really vaccinate or else if we don't do that we're in a world of trouble right so tell everybody you know who is vaccine hesitant which seems like a bizarre phrase but whatever you know we need to get america vaccinated and and if you've had the two shots if you can work it out with your doctor and your pharmacist consider a third shot particularly if you're over 60 is that the bottom line uh, yeah, many countries are doing it. I think the U.S. should do it soon, too. Yeah. Dr. Eric Feigelding, epidemiologist and health economist. You can follow him at Dr. Eric Ding over on Twitter. It's a, he's got a great feed. Doctor, thank you. Take care. Yeah, Stay you good. too. Well, school is starting. It has already started in many parts of the United States. In Slidell, Louisiana, for example, the local TV station WDSU reporting, it's the parents' worst nightmare. Four kids, not one, but four kids testing positive for COVID-19. The youngest, five-month-old Abigail and two-year-old Shar are currently still at Children's Hospital in New Orleans, where there are no 
uh, where there are no beds available. Abigail is on an assisted breathing machine. She's two years old. Um, they're talking about mom and dad. They were mom and dad were both vaccinated, but uh, mom says my children went from laughing and playing babies to laying around. Every time they moved, they coughed. They couldn't breathe. I cannot wait until my babies are home. And she is praying that all the kids will have a safe school year. This is a real challenge for us. How do we keep our children safe? On the line with us is Jennifer Stefano, Vice President and Chief Strategist at the Commonwealth Foundation, commonwealthfoundation.org, and a fellow with the Independent Women's Forum, iwf.org. Uh, you can tweet her at Jennifer Stefano, S-T-E-F-A-N-O, or at Liberty Number 4 PA, or at IWF. Jennifer, welcome to the program. So what is your plan for protecting our children who can't get vaccinated yet, and for protecting the people that the children come into contact with, like my 91-year-old mother-in-law who wants to hang out with her grandchildren. Yeah, so first, the thing we have to do as parents is make decisions in our lives about whether we should or shouldn't let our children um, be exposed to someone who might be vulnerable. And, and that's a tough decision, Tom. I, I completely get it. Um, I, I'm around people who might have high risks, and they said, I'm, I'm done living like this, and I want to be around people I love. And so I, I think that's a personal one-to-one -one decision that we all have to make in our lives and it's tough this is in no way easy because there are but that has nothing to do with the schools i'm, I'm asking the question no. how do we protect our children uh, well I, I i added my 91 year old uh, mother-in-law but but you know it, it would be coming from the schools my understanding is that your position is that we should not mandate masks in schools and i'm trying to understand that yeah, no, and I appreciate it. I, I think what we should do is allow local communities and local schools and parents to be involved in making these decisions. And here's why. Because I do like the question of how we should protect our children, but it's not just against COVID. Because as you know, Tom, and as I know, I went and looked at the number of suicides um, in 2020. Now, while a lot of childhood diseases and other illnesses went down in 2020, the one thing that went up is suicide, suicide attempts, and suicide ideation. Jennifer, are you trying to tell me that if we ask kids to wear masks in school, they're going to commit suicide? No, is that no, your argument, really? That there are a lot no, that's not my argument. Let me finish. I'm, I want to finish the sentence. Sure. I think there are multiple things that we have to think about for the health and well-being of our children, COVID being one of them. And we have vaccines to help that. And then we have, not there has been not met. Well, there are actually the CDC has now approved the vaccines for 12 years old and up. So our, some of our children can be vaccinated um, if parents choose to allow that. And I think but you have to look at the child holistically. And I think the power belongs in the hands of the parents in the local community. I think Florida has the best solution. The Florida Tax Credit Scholarship Organization said, if you feel you are being COVID harassed, whether it is because your children are not going to a school where they're wearing masks or your children are going to a school where they're mandating masks, we will give you a tax credit scholarship that your children can go to a different school that suits your needs. Because again, my Vouchers children Vouchers for private schools? <laughs> this, is, this is your solution, sure. really? Uh, so, so do you think that- Elizabeth, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's Elizabeth Warren's solution in her book, The Two Income Trap. I very much applaud her policy prescription to actually give fully subsidized scholarships or vouchers to all I, I guarantee you, Jennifer, Elizabeth Warren did not write about COVID in her book, she, uh, number she one. She 100% wrote about vouchers. Are you, are you suggesting that local communities and local school boards should be deciding whether children should be vaccinated against measles and mumps and other diseases? 
Well, actually, this was happening long before. I'll give you an article out of the left-leaning The Atlantic from 2014 that said wealthy suburban counties in L.A. had lower vaccination rates than Sudan. That's not crazy conservatives. They're super wealthy white liberals. But there's long been a problem in America. They're still mandating Ah, shots for kids to go into school. No, Tom, they were. Let me tell you. Okay, so you're condemning that, Jennifer. You're saying that these children Um, should be vaccinated in the Los Angeles schools. So I'm why shouldn't they be sat, why, why shouldn't they be masked in the Florida schools? I think that you have to put the power where it belongs into the hands of the local community. We're talking about public we, health here, Jennifer. We're not talking about you know you're, what you're saying is that if I'm sending my kid to school, that ch- my child's health and my child and my health also you know we've got breakthrough infections and things that our health is dependent on some parent who's sitting around watching lying Republican politicians on Fox News tell them there's nothing to worry about and they should be, you know, running around without a mask. I don't, I don't Again, see how that, that, that leads to any kind of good public health outcome. I will again point out that there are many progressives as well that have long shooed vaccines and other things that would be better for public health. This is really not a left or right issue. What I am saying is when it comes to a child's health and all of our health, I wish COVID were the only threat we were facing to our health, but we are not. And so we have to look at it more holistically and we have to let communities make the best decisions. And there are children who suffer from mental health issues. My children have learning disabilities. And in terms of being able to succeed in school and other issues, it may or may not be good for them to wear a mask. And there might be parents who absolutely want to go to school where everyone wears a mask. And you know what? We can allow for both if we just give parents choice. Again, I very much support Senator Elizabeth Warren's policy. This is not Elizabeth Warren's proposal. Um, You want to force public school teachers to be exposed to this disease. I, you know, I know your organization, the Independent Women's Forum, has a long history of you know, basically hating on teachers' unions. Um, so expose the teachers, expose the kids in the public schools, and hey, if people don't like that, if, if parents are afraid of that, we'll give you money that you can give to a private, poor-profit uh, you know, school that you know, just might be kicking some money back to the Republicans. Is that, is, am I understanding this correctly? Tim, our frontline healthcare workers have been dealing with COVID up close and personal in a medical environment for the entire year and a half. Can you tell me what percentage of them died and got sick from it? Because I feel like the teachers are trying to act as though they I know are we've under had over a greater or dire threat than our, our first, or than our first, than our, than our first responders. And I think that's 2000 wildly dead unfair. The fact is this, that no one is asking teachers not to wear masks. They can mask up, they can double mask up. And the teachers union just said that they, and, and pushed back against the CDC to allow teachers that have disabilities or, or have people in their lives that could be exposed to COVID that they don't have to go in. So I'm sorry, Tom, teachers are well protected and they have every right to not even go in. This is guidelines from the CDC. So I am at a loss for why you think that we should that is make children extraordinarily disingenuous. The that is extraordinarily the truth. You can go on to the It's extraordinarily disingenuous, it. Jennifer. Wearing a mask does not offer you 100% or even anything close to it, protection if somebody is blowing virus in your face. The main purpose for then the mask is to stop the virus coming out of the mouth of the person who's infected, in this case, the child who's infected. We don't want those children um, infecting the children around them or their teachers. 
And, and that's why everybody needs to wear a mask. What you're suggesting is that swimming pools start having a pee in the pool section over, you know, in the in one third of the pool and don't pee in the pool section in the two thirds of the pool. And that's crazy. So I'm just going to go on the record that Jennifer Stefano does never endorse peeing in pools. Just please don't do it. Well, please, this, this is what you're suggesting. That kids should be blowing viruses all over a classroom. How is that different? I again go back and say, I think the power should be in the hands of the parents in the local community to best make this decision. These are there public are health decisions. Factors. These are life and death public health decisions, Jennifer. When, 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 these, when these people get COVID, they go to the hospital. They're, they go to the medical professionals and say, please save my life. You know, 600,000 people are dead because of this disease. And you're saying, oh, we should let parents make medical decisions for our entire community, for our schools, for our kids, for everybody? That you know, We've never done that. Sure we have. We have. Not, like not when it comes to life sure and death. We, we, vac- I, you know, yes, we vaccinate we for polio. We vaccinate for smallpox. You know, when there's no. deadly diseases out there, we vaccinate. And we and we well, and we require public you, health measures. I will tweet it to you. The 2014 headline in the Atlantic: Many, many liberals and progressives leading up and prior to COVID refused. You know, because Gwyneth Paltrow over at Goop or whomever told them that vaccines are bad, stopped vaccinating their kids. So I would argue that there is plenty of examples of people not doing what is in the best interest of public health. People still smoke. There's a burgeoning industry of many people promoting. And they're not going to go smoking in a classroom. They may or may not. Okay. They are not so going to be smoking be in a really classroom. Clear that and if you can't blow really smoke important. around in a classroom, why should you blow a deadly virus around in a classroom? Well, I've seen some of the things we teach in American classrooms. I would argue a lot of smoke is being blown in American classrooms these days. You know, deflecting is... is, is, is Deflecting. I have yeah. repeatedly said there. Are, if you will honestly say that both, regardless of your political point of view, I start from. I think everyone who has an opinion on this, both sides, want to see the health and well-being of our children and each other. But not our schools. Okay. You know, I get it. That you're on a Jeremiah here to destroy our public schools, and this will this will you know help that. I get that. Yeah. But so again, I think both sides are looking out for the best interests of our children and how to educate them. What I think that we have to do is holistically look at it. There are many public health issues at play aside from COVID. It is not just COVID that threatens us and our health. And I think, you know, the head of the infectious disease for children at Tufts Pediatric came out in the Wall Street Journal and co-authored with a doctor from Johns Hopkins Medical the case against masks for children. Now, that's not to say that that alone should dictate public policy, but there is serious scientific debate on this issue. And as, I think that's As of Saturday, we had 1,902 children in the hospitals in the United States with and COVID. I understand that. And what these doctors and your are arguing is that masks may not, well, actually, these doctors argue that the masks may not impact or help that. And what I'm saying is, as parents look at all the factors that do and do not contribute to their individual child's health and the community at large, they should be empowered to make the best decisions. Okay. Why can't we trust our people to make the best decisions? That's because some of them do. are idiots and they shouldn't they and, they and their kids shouldn't expose the rest of us. 
But uh, Je- I'm sorry, Jennifer. I was going to give you the last word. I, um, Jennifer Stefano. It thank is you. your show, Tom. Well, thank yeah, you. I, I suppose. But, you know, I, I, I do like to be reasonably fair. Jennifer, thank you for being with us. Thank you. The uh, CommonwealthFoundation.org is uh, with the one website. She's the vice president and chief strategist. And the independent women's forum, IWF.org. Jennifer Stefano on Twitter. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us for the hour from the Tom Hartman program. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin in the U.S. House of Representatives. His website, pocan.house.gov. Member and former co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He's on the Appropriations, Education, and Labor Committees in the House. And you can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Congressman, welcome back to the program. What's at the top of your list for today? I see you've, you've introduced this amazing piece of legislation to vaccinate the world. Can you tell us about that first? Sure. Uh, Yeah, I'm glad to, Tom. Thanks for having me. The COVID Defense Act uh, is a bill that would redirect a little over 1% of the Pentagon budget, 1.3% to be exact, which is about $9.6 billion to international efforts to vaccinate the world. There's an international effort right now with COVAX uh, where uh, countries and others have have come up with about $9.6 billion, and that'll vaccinate about 30% of the uh, countries, the 91 poorest countries on the planet. It'll cover 30% of their population. Just by redirecting just a little over 1% of our Pentagon budget from defense contractors and bombs towards uh, the real uh, biggest national security threat we have, which is COVID-19, we can double that number to an additional 30% of the world's population. And by doing so, we accomplish a couple things. One, making sure there's less chance to have variants because we're covering more people in the world to stop that from happening. And that protects us here in the United States. But also, it's the right kind of goodwill we should be doing around the world. You look at Afghanistan, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that today. There are plenty of things, I think, that were done wrong over 20 years. The right thing to do 
is to do something like this, to help vaccinate the world and help make the world a healthier place. It benefits us. It benefits the world. It benefits our position in the world. We just introduced that today, and we're hoping that we'll get a lot of sponsors. So if somebody wants to call their member of Congress at 224-3121 and let their member of the House or the Senate, for that matter, know that they you know, want their vote or their co-sponsorship on this, what should they say? Support the COVID Defense Act. Sign on to the COVID Defense Act as a co-sponsor. That's the best thing you could do right now. But, you know, really, this is a conversation we've had for a long time, Tom. You know, I think we need to redirect more of our Pentagon dollars towards what other definitions of defense are. The last year and a half, the biggest threat to this country has been COVID-19. And yet all the money we spend is still on faulty F-35s and all this other stuff. Just by directing something as small as a little over 1% of that Pentagon budget, literally 30% of the world, the 91 poorest countries, are going to be vaccinated, which protects us far more from COVID-19 than anything any defense contractor can do. It just makes sense, and I think we need to start having this conversation about using defense dollars for things like climate change, because that's a risk to our country, towards health care, because clearly COVID-19 was a risk to our country. And I think if we do that, we can really do some pretty amazing things. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Anything you want to highlight about what's happening in Congress, uh, other things that you're working on, or just, you know, in general things you want to make sure people don't miss or know about? Just the last thing I'd say is, is if people are going to be calling their member of Congress, they might want to throw in the fact that uh, make sure you take up uh, both of the very important bills together. They are twin bills, 3.5 trillion dollar bill and the infrastructure bill. Both of them are going to help Americans cut taxes for uh, people with children, uh, going to expand Medicare and child care and other things that are going to uh, help American families. Uh, We're going to create jobs while also tackling the climate crisis. And President Biden's proposal uh, is paid for. It taxes the wealthiest and corporations that aren't paying their fair share. It's important both bills go together. It's a crucial vote for us next week. We have a few members that think differently. I think calling their members of Congress about that is good to reinforce. Yeah. Amen. I support both infrastructure bills. Please pass them together. At the same time. Yeah. At the same time. All righty. Let's pick up some phone calls here. Ray in Wheaton, Illinois, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. People have been talking about how to remove Louis DeJoy from his position, but here's my question. Uh, Eugene Debs went to prison for delaying the mail, and DeJoy not only delayed the mail, he destroyed federal property. And uh, why isn't he behind bars right now is what I'm wondering. Ray, the problem is he's making a decision as the Postmaster General to delay mail in order to be more efficient. It's not like he's just delaying mail for the sake of it. He's claiming that's what they have to do financially to keep the post office in service. And he can make that decision as the Postmaster General. I certainly disagree with it. You disagree with it. I think the vast majority of the American people disagree with it. And that's why he's got to go. And we need the Board of Governors to get rid of him. Um, But he does have that within his authority. That's why it's a different situation. He's just making a bad calculus, a completely bad calculus on this. Uh, The easiest way to fix any problems that the Postal Service may have is to get rid of the ridiculous pre-funding of their employees' benefits 75 years into the future. No other agency has this. No other business has this. You take care of that. You've taken care of most of their problems. And, uh, again, I think people really rely on the Postal Service like you are, Ray. Um, We need to get it to work right, and that means you need to get rid of joy. Bill in Richmond, Virginia, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. 
I was just listening to, uh, I think it was Michael Smarconish, and he brought up something interesting from this NBC report, and I think New York Times said the same thing. Why has there not been any comment from any leadership in the Democratic Party about this Afghanistan thing? Now, my Senator Mark Warner from Virginia is going to have a committee on it to find out about the intelligence. But why has there been no comment, no nothing, just kind of like it was like a non-event? Bill, one, I would suggest you find new media sources because there have been plenty of comments. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, you, you know, if you look, I did a cursory check this morning and found all sorts of messaging from some of the lawmakers who are veterans, some of the senior people in, in various committees, both in the House and Senate. There's lots out there. So there are certainly plenty of comments. I, I think, you know, my comment I put out there, and I think people like Barbara Lee and others have, is, look, this was not going to succeed with the original mission that was put out by uh, George Bush and Dick Cheney. And every time we try to do nation building, you can't expect to go into a place like Afghanistan where others have tried and leave leaving Dunkin' Donuts in, in Disneyland, right? It's, it's not going to happen. And unfortunately, the Republican um, efforts in the last four presidents uh, with a lot of misinformation, I think, from the Department of Defense and Intelligence have led us to a place where this was going to happen. Uh, could we have started getting people out of there earlier? Yes, I think there's some things that could have been done better. But it is good that we're getting out of Afghanistan, and hopefully this is a lesson for any future country we might be looking at. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls on the Tom Hartman program. Alex in Seattle listening on KBCS. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you. Firstly, thank you for what you do. Really appreciate all your efforts out there. Thank you, Alex. Uh, my yes, and my question is in regards to what's happening with our international shipping issues and supply chain. We are seeing crazy um, supply chain issues as far as the logistics, and at this point, it feels like maybe in our economy the tail is wagging the dog, where the shipping uh, industry is is a bottleneck that that really is hurting us. Um, is there anything that can be done at an international level that Congress can act? on or is this basically laissez-faire it is what it is um, because we've seen our containers personally go from two thousand dollars a container from overseas to up to over twenty thousand dollars per container same material on the that vessel so it's interesting is there anything that can be done yeah, Alex, I'll tell you, part of the problem I think that um, you didn't mention that's a, a part of why this is happening is, you know, basically in many ways the United States reopened around June. We've seen it uh, in our own business. I'm a small business owner. We're having the supply chain issues that many other people are having because everything, the demand suddenly came open after a, a lot of time with COVID. And because of that, there's the whole ripple effect of what people have. It's not like people still had things in inventory because they also weren't making things if there wasn't demand. And because of that, uh, especially in shipping, they're able to make a quite a nice profit on that as we're trying to get goods in. But it is something that I know so many small businesses are facing. I understand what you're saying. I don't know if I have a legislative fix because what you need is more uh, lines of transportation, but we also need more of the goods that are out there. Um, you know, trying to source things right now, especially things like, uh, you know, in our business, we do a lot of American and union made t-shirts and things. Boy, we can spend an hour trying to find the shirts that we used to be able to just go on one website, order and find Five minutes we were done it's just part of the reopening process and i think it's going to get better but clearly right now we're in a crunch congressman we have about a minute to the break I, I'm, I'm wondering if you think that part of the solution to this problem or part of the 
maybe part of the opportunity that this moment has provided us as you know China is having fits with COVID right now and shipping is up and down and everything else is an opportunity to bring our factories back home. Bernie points out that, you know, as of, I think it was 2010, 50,000 factories have gone overseas. I think the number now is over 60,000. Um, you know, repatriate so that we don't need a supply chain or at least one that's external to the United States. Undo neoliberalism. Absolutely, especially around things like uh, medicines and drugs, things that are, are really of, of also national security importance. Uh, we should be uh, able to have that produced here in the United States and not rely on India or China for that, which we do uh, all too often. Um, but, but we're even seeing this, Tom, in, like I said, I, I source American-made and union-made stuff a lot for our business. Mm-hmm. We're having supply chain issues there because there wasn't inventory, because there wasn't demand, which I totally understand as a small business owner. But right now, it's all hitting and, and we're having some of these problems. So well, I understand that, like, for example, most American-made clothing is actually using cloth that was made overseas. Overseas. Yes, that is yeah. still very true. Yeah. Um, it's interesting trying to, to find U.S. suppliers. We've, we've made a real goal of it. I found, for example, a rug company in the Carolinas, things like that. But it's, it's so far and few between, and it would be great if we had more suppliers here. I think they would find good business. Yeah, I'm with you. It was a very different world 40 years ago. David in Washington, D.C., you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. My question is, look, I am getting my mail late. I knew someone talked about the post office early, but this type of stuff can mess my credit rating up and everything. And how in the world can someone think that shutting down one of the best delivery system, computer systems on the damn planet is going to do anything decent for the people? Creditors don't care. They want to be paid on time. They want to be paid on time. I hear you, David. And, you know, that's one of um, a multitude of problems with having a delayed mail service. You know, the goal has been um, for by many Republicans to try to privatize it. If they can make it fail, then they can have private industry come and pick that up. And we'll all pay uh, more eventually for that service. People in rural areas will suffer greatly uh, if that happens. And, you know, we have to remember uh, one of the few federal services that is outlined in the Constitution is the Postal Service. So we have to do everything we can to protect it. I would say, again, as you reach out to your elected officials, and I hope that everyone does that on a regular basis, you know, raise this issue. The pressure has to be so immense. The difficulty is we are a step removed from it as it is the Board of Governors that has to do it. But um, I I think this has gone on way too long. We need to really build that pressure up to a crescendo. Pam in Chicago, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. I just want to say we have to acknowledge Representative Barbara Lee, who was initially against that war in Afghanistan, and she laid it out very eloquently. And I think she needs some special recognition. So, Representative, to you, could you be as specific as possible? When we talk about having both infrastructure bills passed. You use the word supported. Uh, I'm hearing from the other side that they want the roads bill signed first, and they won't move on anything else until that's done. And then on the progressive side, I'm hearing that, no, we've got to have the human infrastructure bill uh, agreed to and signed. So what does that look like specifically, both being signed uh, at the same time, or when you say support, I just want to make sure we can get them both done. No, thank you, Pam. It's a great question. First of all, I completely agree with you on Barbara Lee. Uh, Barbara Lee speaks for me. Uh, she always has, and that was a very brave vote she took, and she was right 20 years ago, and she's 
still right today, uh, especially on Pentagon spending. Um, on this issue, so what, what's happening is there are nine moderates who signed a letter and said, no, we've got to take the infrastructure bill up first. And when you have a three-seat majority in the House, clearly uh, you can start doing the math. You realize there could be some problems. The real problem is if we do the infrastructure bill, already this is a watered-down infrastructure bill from what Joe Biden had wanted. These are twin bills. Nancy Pelosi has said all along, and she's maintained and still maintains, they have to be passed together. We need the Senate to also pass the larger $3.5 trillion bill or whatever it may exactly be. It could be slightly different uh, along with this bill, because otherwise, if you pass the the infrastructure bill, the bipartisan so-called infrastructure bill, you may never get to the other bill, thanks to people like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. So um, we don't trust them. Uh, If you remember the old Popeye cartoon when Wimpy would say, I'd gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today, um, that's how we feel about this. If we do the infrastructure bill, you may never see the bill that extends the child tax cut for American families that's going to lift half the children in this country out of poverty. You're never going to see the child care money, the expansion of Medicare, um, all the other things that are in there will not happen if we don't do them together. So it's really simple. Um, This is what Joe Biden wants. This is what Nancy Pelosi wants. This is what Democrats in general want. There should be no Democrat who doesn't want what's in that bill. So let's do them together. Let's do it right. That means we have the Senate vote on both. The House will vote on both. They'll go to the president together. But to do one before the other risks the other one happening. And that's why uh, the bills have to be done together. That's the message. Joe in St. Petersburg, Florida, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. I'm having a problem with my representatives. I've got one good representative in Congress, Charlie Crist, but my other two Congress representatives are um, Rick Scott and, and Rubio. So, uh, you know, I can, I've been calling them, but, you know, how much good is it going to do when they are so embedded in the oil companies and the NRA and all the things where our money is going to subsidize the oil companies and and not to to giving to the the, the poor of this country the, the working man the, the the kind of things that are in that bill how do i convince them when they're so embedded in what they've been doing for so many years You've hit the the nail on the head with this one because that is the problem. The reason that some people don't want that bill, it's not because there's not good things in there because the public is wildly supportive of almost everything that's being proposed to be in that bill, which, by the way, Bernie Sanders helped write. It's because of the special interests that don't want to pay their fair share of taxes and the wealthy because that's how Joe Biden funds it. So they're getting in the ear of some members of Congress in the Senate. You keep the pressure up because eventually if those members get enough contacts, uh, you watch them, they'll redirect why they're going to change their opinion, but they'll cave. We have to keep the pressure on members of Congress. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. 
By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Maverick in Edmonds, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. All right. This might take two brains. You had this great assertion that, and I've used this many times in my discussions with some conservatives that I know, and that's that whole thing about the, uh, you know, name a law, a bill that was proposed by a Republican, passed through a Republican majority in Congress and signed into law by a Republican president, and that law benefits more than 51 percent of it benefits the working man. And that hasn't happened for at least 40 years. I, no, I, I don't know offhand, uh, going back 40 years. I can tell you the, the last law that probably benefited over 50% of the people very directly was the American Rescue Plan that Democrats put forward. But, you know, that's the bill that we passed earlier this year that uh, put money in people's pockets. It put shots in people's arms. It put kids back into school safely, which was the important part. And it put people uh, into jobs. And, and that bill, absolutely, by the definition of supporting a majority of the people, did that. These next two bills that we need to do together, the uh, the infrastructure and the in the um, broader uh, human infrastructure bills, uh, are also going to do that. So it's rare. Uh, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years, uh, local, state, and federal government, to see this much activity happen in this little time. This really is pretty transformational. So by your definition, Maverick, these bills, the two and the one we did, would all meet that criteria, at least as far as benefiting people. Stephen Lamp, Missouri. Congressman, I was wondering if there might be some way to help keep from sending our Americans into combat overseas in the future by passing legislation to make sure that the first ones to go would be sons and daughters and nieces and nephews of congressmen. Yeah, I think that would be uh, hard to do. I understand the sentiment. Um, you know, I, I think what we really have to learn out of what's happening right now is so often when we go in and try to do so-called nation building, uh, that that's not maybe the role of the United States uh, military. And, uh, you know, I think there was a terrible direction given by Dick Cheney and George Bush at the time when this happened. Uh, it was not ever going to likely succeed. And uh, president after president just kept pouring resources in there, not maybe being given the, the, the blunt truth by uh, some of our U.S. agencies on what's happening. And Joe Biden did the right thing by removing the troops. And we got to keep that in mind uh, if we ever want to do this uh, anywhere else. There are, t there are purposes for troops overseas, but uh, I think what we did in Afghanistan likely uh, was not that purpose. And now um, we have to really keep the focus on, uh, you know, getting people out of there. So I understand the point you're trying to make. I don't know if that would be even constitutional. Certainly not gonna, likely to pass, but I certainly understand the point you're making. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, I'd like to ask the elephant in the room question, which is, how is it that we train an Afghan military of 300,000 strong over a period of 20 years and not know that they're not going to perform, that they're not going to fight? I mean, any training I've ever been through 
of many kinds. You cannot demonstrate the skill set and not do it. You can't fake it. You cannot fake military training and then just not fight. So I, my suspicion is, I suspect that it has been known all along from the very beginning that they would not fight. And that's why we've been told all these years we're not going to stay. That's why John McCain said we're going to be there for 100 years, because everybody knew as soon as you pull out this one two-by-four, the whole roof is going to collapse. And that's, that's what I think we've been – that's what we have not been told. We've known this all along. I'd like your reaction. Yeah, Paul, I, you may very likely be right. Uh, there's a reason why Donald Trump and Joe Biden, which probably agree on very, very little, both agreed on it was necessary to remove troops. Uh, Donald Trump did it in a very Trump way, which was uh, problematic and, and never would have worked uh, in the way he was trying to propose. And Joe Biden did what he needed to do. But, you know, there's no question um, what we were doing wasn't going to work. I don't think we got the right information from whether it be Department of Defense or intelligence to presidents. And, uh, you know, hopefully this is one more reason why we need to repeal those AUMFs, the authorizations from 20 years ago, too, because right now we're still giving presidents the unilateral authority when clearly the Constitution says it's up to Congress to do this. That also has to happen. And I think there's growing um, support in a bipartisan way to do that. Stasha in Tacoma, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I'm a recently retired emergency physician. I've spent my whole adult life in health care. And one thing I can say, first of all, is that politicians have no business trying to dictate health care for anybody, really. Secondly, I'm starting to wonder if it isn't time to man make mandatory vaccinations. It's not just for the protection of the population here. It's also for protection for the world population, because the more the virus replicates, the more likely we are to get variants that we can't treat. And so it would seem to me we're being irresponsible to the world population. And the last thing is that I don't believe this country was really based on, I can do what I want, even if it hurts the people around me, which seems to be kind of what's going on with the non-vaxxers, non-maskers. Sasha, let me answer it in, in this way. You know, I, I've seen uh, a number of things that tell me if we did a mandatory vaccine um, you may even get greater pushback. I think what I've found is when you look at, uh, they've had some studies saying, you know, if you were given $100, would you get a vaccine? I think 12% of the people said that might entice them. Whether or not you could fly in the airplane, 41% of the people said then they would get a vaccine. I think there's other incentives we can do first. But I also would go back to the very beginning of the show when I talked about a bill I introduced today, the COVID Defense um, Act, which would uh, take just a little over 1% of the current Pentagon budget and put that towards global efforts with COVAX that would cover 30% of the world's population in 91 of the poorest countries that would double the efforts right now that are out there. That goes to exactly what you're saying. We're going to have variants as long as we have COVID out there. We have to actually help uh, get this done across the world. And while our numbers are increasing in the U.S. and there's other things we can do, we need to focus globally on this. And I think that is something that should be prioritized to address the very concerns that you have. And, uh, you know, thank you so much for what you've done all your life uh, in that role as emergency physician, uh, especially the last year and a half. I can't imagine how difficult that's been. Congressman, we have uh, just a little less than a minute left. Uh, tell us a little more about your bill. How many people are co-sponsoring or co-signing it? What, 
what's what challenge does it face? What opportunity do we have here? Um, we, you know, what committees are going to come out, out of? today? So this is the first day for people to sign on to the bill. So um, I, we don't know how many are signed on yet because it just circulated. Uh, but what we did is we looked at the international efforts around COVAX, and they had raised about $9.6 billion. That would lead to um, billions of, of, of vaccine shots that would protect 30% of the world by early 2022. That's good, but it's still going to lead to additional variants. By uh, d doubling that amount, which is, again, that 1.3% of the Pentagon budget, you'll get to 60% of the populations in those countries, and that is getting much closer to where we need to make sure there's not additional variants. I think it is incumbent on this country to do that, not just for our own self-interest to stop variants, but also uh, to, to show how America can do its best by, by doing that rather than just putting troops on the ground in countries. Vaccine diplomacy. Absolutely. Vaccine diplomacy. I'm going to steal that. Yeah, please. Please do. Tom in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. I just want to say real quick, my representative doesn't even live in my district, and that's the Pennsylvania 14th. Um, I was wondering if you could start legislation that would limit media consolidation or try to reverse it. It seems like six to nine companies control 80 to 90 percent of what we see, read, and hear. Yeah, Tom, I would take your conversation, though, and even take it up to a 30,000-foot level. I mean, we need more um, antitrust legislation and more looks at consolidation and, and, and uh, single control uh, with companies. There was a bill recently that went through the Judiciary Committee. David Cicilline's had a, had a, had a bill, and it was an interesting configuration. It was more um, mainstream and progressive Democrats uh, aligning with some folks on the right, and then some more corporate-leaning folks, uh, you know, looking to Silicon Valley and others uh, opposing that. But we absolutely uh, need to, to stop consolidations, whether it be in media or in a lot of other industries, because at the end of the day, it doesn't benefit the American consumer. Much more needs to be done in this area. And, um, you know, on top of that, I would just mention, you know, the social media specifically, where people seem to be getting their news now. Um, you can very easily never see anything other than uh, certain aspects of your news. And I, and I think that's also pretty detrimental to uh, efforts right now. Steve in New Boston, Michigan, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Talking about jobs in America coming back here, that uh, do we have the natural resources and the technology and the workforce available here in the United States to manufacture pillows? Because a Google search revealed that a well-leading and well-heavily advertised pillow company uh, whose CEO is claiming that the 2020 elections were stolen actually uh, is doing business by having his pillows manufactured in China and exported to the United States. So my guess is this is happening because we don't have the natural resources, the technology, or the workforce available to manufacture these right here and put Americans to work. Is that what the problem is? I'll take my answer <laughs> offline. Thank you. I like your point, Steve. Uh, you know, the hypocrisy uh, is definitely rampant among many of the MAGA crowd. Uh, my pillow, uh, not to be excluded from that. Um, you know, this is just part of the problem that, that, honestly, I think is affecting us politically. I, I could go way long on this, and I won't, but, you know, in our rural areas of places like Wisconsin, um, you know, there used to be, a couple decades ago, uh, a manufacturer that employed many of the people with good family-supporting jobs. And when we started sending all these jobs overseas, whether it was to make pillows uh, or anything else, uh, we ruined much of that 
rural community, uh, the economics of that rural community. So now you have you can have a home-based business or you can have an agrarian business, but it's very different. And, you know, don't forget, they don't always have broadband, which is why we need to expand broadband, a lot of other things. And that's led to some of the resentment in those areas. So politically, it's been easy for people to believe this, that brown or black-skinned person took my job, and that becomes uh, the emphasis rather than the reality, which is, I think, what you're pointing out, is greedy corporations who sent jobs overseas just to save uh, some money so they can pay their their top brass and their shareholders even more. It's a much bigger issue, I think, that we need to talk about a lot more, but it's really, I think, one of the main things that's affecting us in a political way in these rural communities. Mike, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. My uh, question is going to be, who is going to get fired from the Afghanistan debacle? I mean, you're a representative, and you fund all these agencies that have been lying to the American people for 20 years. But yet, I don't see any repercussions. I don't see any fallout. I wonder why a percentage of the people in the United States don't trust America government is because you've been lying to us forever. And you're the person who's responsible to make sure that someone answers for these lies. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Mike. I, I think you're going to see lots of uh, reviews of what have happened. I think what you're going to find, this is my guess, is that Department of Defense uh, might have often uh, given a rosier picture than what was really going on. Intelligence, in some ways, uh, some of the intelligence agencies have been the most critical of what happened, but there probably were some failures uh, there as well. And most recently, I think, you know, there probably, unfortunately, were probably some failures at the, uh, the Secretary of State level in not, uh, you know, getting people out of there sooner uh, and staging that out rather than waiting till uh, this late date to really accomplish that. But, you know, the real fault was that uh, we just had administration after administration for 20 years uh, keep the presence there because that was easier than ripping the Band-Aid off. And, uh, you know, Joe Biden, I still think, did the right thing, could have been executed better. But you're right. We should find out why we spent 20 years there and, and all the lives that were lost and the money that was spent. Uh, it wasn't in our best interest. And getting in in the first place. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. Well, like, and it, seriously, it goes back to Tom. You're right. I mean, what Dick Cheney and I say Dick Cheney first, even before George Bush, you know, their mission out there with the directive they had was wrong. And the fact that they never would do any power sharing or anything else, uh, any kind of uh, reaching out to the Taliban, a, a mistake was made after mistake. But that direct of those original directives were the main reason why this was never going to work. Yeah, absolutely. Congressman Pocan, thanks so much for dropping by today. It's great having you with us and best of luck on your, uh, what's the name of the bill again? The COVID Defense Act. COVID Defense Act. And please uh, reach out and let your uh, members of Congress know that the COVID Defense Act has been dropped today and it's worth supporting. Congressman, good luck. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Appreciate it, Tom, as always. My pleasure, as always. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.